Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about various reasons, various purposes as to why God created us. And so in review for a moment, before we get into today's message, we've learned that God has several purposes for our lives. We are uh, created to bring God's pleasure, or to bring God pleasure. And we're reminded in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Thou hast created all things for His own pleasure. And so we've been challenged with the idea is, does our life and how we live, our actions, our reactions, what we live for, does it bring God pleasure? Uh, we were created to be part of God's family. And uh, we saw that in Scripture. We were created to be like Christ, uh, as we noticed last week. And this morning we're going to look at the, the, the message in God's Word that we're created to be a servant of God. Um, but I want to begin today's message by looking at the greatest servant that the world has ever known. His name was Jesus. And uh, as we just kind of go by, uh, give a little bit of a foundation, a little bit of an introduction to this whole uh, theme of being a servant of God. Um, the greatest servant that ever lived was Jesus Christ. Hands down, without a doubt. Obviously, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. Can you imagine just for a moment, just think this through in your mind just for a moment, leaving the splendor of heaven. Yesterday at the memorial service, we talked about Susan and now God's Word says to be absent of the body, present with the Lord. Graduation day for the child of God. Finally being with the Lord and Savior for all eternity. And we were reminded as we read through a little bit of Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22 of how beautiful heaven has to be. When you think of the streets of gold, and God's Word tells us that it's as transparent, it's so pure, so refined, as, as, as though it's transparent. Wow, can your mind's eye imagine that? And the twelve gates made of precious stone. But most of all, no need of light, no need of you know, moon, sun, stars, because God's glory is the radiant light of heaven. And can you imagine just for a moment with me to lay that aside to willingly come down to earth to live as a man, laying aside the splendor of heaven, but He didn't just come to earth. He assumed the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men to be a servant. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Once again, imagine the King of Kings came to serve by giving His life to be an example to every one of us how we have to serve in this world that we live in. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to what? Serve the living God. Is there any doubt that the greatest example that any one of us could ever understand, ever see, is from the life of Christ? And there's no doubt that He wanted us to follow His example and to be a servant in this world that we live in. And not only that, God intended for His people to be trained for service. You know, it's one thing He says in Hebrews chapter 10 that we're not to forsake the assembling as some do, but all the more coming together as we see the day approaching. When, you know, as I'm thinking, as I'm reminded of this, I think about this fact. None of us knows when we're going to die. I mean, none of us gets up in the morning and say, Whoo, I think I'll die today. You know, we don't know when we're going to die. Proverbs 27 once says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for you don't know what a day is going to bring forth. But not only that, not only do we not know when we're going to die, we don't know when Christ is going to come. 
you know, not only not even the Son of Man knows when God's going to blow the trumpet. The bottom line is, we don't know how much time we have on this earth. And we're to come together, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsake the assembling, but what happens when we come together? I'm glad you asked. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11, and if you would take just a moment, turn to that passage just for a moment. I know it's up on the screen, but there's some key words in that passage. I think you ought to underline them. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, is one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament. In verse 11 it says, And He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And listen to verse 12. For the training of the saints in the work of the ministry. One of the key reasons that God has for you to be a part of His body is so that we might be equipped, that we might be trained to do the work that He's called us to do. Now it's one thing to say, well, hey, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven. Woo! Got that ticket, I'm on that train, I'm going. But if that's all life is about is an insurance policy to get out of hell and into heaven, we've missed the whole concept. The idea of coming in and being part of this world, and more specifically being a part of the body of Christ, is so that we can be learned, you know, be servants and examples of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, right? Is that true? Is that just a theory or is that good practice and principle? Ah, I got a little bit quieter on that one. You know, the bottom line is God wants us to serve. God wants us to follow His Son's example in Jesus Christ and be a servant. So He says in verse 12, for the training of the saints in the work of the ministry. And sometimes we get this idea, maybe not in theory, but at least in practice, well, that's why we hire a pastor. That's why we support a missionary. That's why we have Sunday school teachers. It's their job to do the work of the ministry. No, it's the job of every born-again child of God to be a part of the ministry, right? So the bottom line is, where are you serving? How is God using you as a a servant of Jesus Christ? How how is God using you? And let me just say, uh, before I get too many of you irritated, it doesn't just happen within the body of Christ. I understand that. It happens outside the body of Christ. In fact, it ought to happen outside the body of Christ, right? It ought to happen, you know, because the church goes to work. Church goes to school. Church goes to Wegmans, right? Church is out and about, and the church needs to be the church and being the servant of Christ. So he says, for the training of the saints and the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. So as we go about doing the work that God's called us to do, the body of Christ should be built up, right? So it should be going forward. And then how long do we do this? Just for a period until we get to a certain age, until the next generation steps on the scene? Or how, how long does this happen? Verse 13 gives us the answer. Until we all reach into the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Have we arrived? I don't think we were there yet. I think we got some work to do. I think we got some places to go. Then we'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness of the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head of Christ from whom the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now I know I'm blowing through that just for a moment for two reasons. You're reading it, you're seeing it, and you're hearing it. We're going to get this. We have got a job to do. We've got work to do. And we're not there then yet. But here's what we need to be reminded of. If you're not motivated to do it, in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
one day we're going to stand before God and give an account as His children. And I believe very carefully, or very firmly, that one of the things that we'll give an account for is our life and how we've served Jesus Christ. I believe that we will give that account. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each one may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. There is a phrase to consider. You know, I asked this question a couple weeks ago. Some of us are really involved in some good things. And some good things need to be done. But there are times that God says, I want you to abandon what is good for what is better. And some of us need to abandon what is better for what is best. Are we willing to give up what may be good or what may be better to do what is God's best for our lives? See, He says we're going to give an account. We're going to stand before this tribunal and we'll give an account whether it's good or worthless. And God's Word gives us the definition by uh, the very nature of what we see in His Word, what is good and what is worthless. You see, it's going to be tried by fire. And I wonder, will it stand the test of fire? There are things that are good, and there are things that are worthless. And we know that there are only two things that will stand the test of time. The souls of men and the Word of God. Everything else is just earthly, temporal, temporary. So what we invest in with our time, our talents, our treasure, the things that we invest in, are they temporary or are they eternal? Do they have to do with the souls of men and the Word of God or do they have to do with the things of this world? Because if they're all about the things of this world, we need to reprioritize this a little bit and refocus on what God has for us. Because we will give an account. So what we do today, how we live today, will affect us for all eternity and what we'll receive based on the deeds and the works that we have done. So I ask the question then, what are, where are we serving God? Where is it that we're investing for eternity? Where is it that we are investing for the souls of men? And the Word of God. But think for a moment. What that might be like to stand before Almighty God one day. I've got this kind of little question that comes to my mind. I wonder which excuses will be justifiable. Which excuses will he says, you know, I thought about that one. That's a good one. I, I get it. Yep, yeah. Hey, you're off the hook. Don't worry about it. Step aside. Next. Not going to happen. We all know that in theory, right? I mean, there are certain things that we say, well, God understands it. He knows how busy I am. And so He knows why I didn't give more time to, to eternal purposes. I mean, He just, God gets it. I'm really shy when I get around people. And therefore, I didn't volunteer a whole lot. I, I didn't, it wasn't really good because, I mean, God gets it. He understands. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. God, God's okay with that. You know, God understands that things were tight. You know, and I had a big family and, you know, you know, I just, I mean, I mean, God understands. Just, I mean, we've got to have TV. I mean, come on. I mean, God, God gets that things are tight once in a while, and that's why I don't invest as much as I should. I mean, God gets that. I mean, which excuses as we stand before God are going to be justifiable in His sight? Thank you. This week, two hands and a I'm guilty. I think all of us are. Because we love to be satisfied, don't we? We love to be comfortable. We love to be secure. We love for things just to be 
mm, great in our households. You ever thought that maybe God wants you to be just a little bit uncomfortable? You ever thought about the fact that maybe God just wants you to be a little bit inconvenienced? That, wait a minute, <laughs> no preacher, you're meddling, don't be doing that. God, God has blessed me. He wants me to have these things. And I often wonder, even in my own life, at what expense am I getting things versus serving the Lord in some areas? So, what might it be like to stand before Almighty God and give an account? And I wonder what things will be good and what things will be worthless. What will be racing through our minds as we stand before Him and receive what is due us for the works that we have done? From the beginning, God has desired that we serve Him with all our heart. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, and Psalm chapter 100, verse 2. He says, serve the Lord with gladness, you select few. No. All of us are to serve God with our lives, with gladness. And can I tell you just for a moment, turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. I know I'm, I'm booking it through some of this this morning. I think some of it's familiar uh, ground and you're familiar with it, so I feel some liberty to go a little bit quicker this morning. But the bottom line is I want us to get this. God has for us to be a servant and to model the example of His Son, Jesus Christ. Our work, our service for God is proof of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Think about that just for a moment. In, in James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? No, because God's Word is very clear that if I truly know Jesus Christ, I want to serve Him. They work hand in hand, and you cannot have one without the other. No. He says, if I have faith, can, can my faith alone save? No, because you don't have true faith if you're not serving the Lord. So he says in verse 15, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? Sounds great on paper, doesn't it? Well, I'm a child of God, but you know, hey, hey, things are tight over here, go find your own, sorry. That's not what being a servant is. So he says in verse 16, Faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Now, as I often say in this passage, you need to also look at Titus 3, 5 and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not by works of righteousness. My works will never save me, will they? Ephesians 2, 8 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So there's nothing that I can do to save myself through my goodness. In fact, God's Word says in, in the Old Testament that all my righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. So God's Word is very clear that my works will not and cannot in any way, shape, or form save me. But James 2 kind of gives us the balance of that. If I truly know Jesus Christ, I'll want to serve Him with my life. It's not that... I'm going to say I'm, I'm saved, so I have to serve. I'll want to serve. I want to be that picture of Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 18, but someone will say, "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you faith by my from my works. And you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. So is it enough to, enough just to believe? He says, "No, though well, the devils believe in God, that doesn't make them saved." 
So, verse 20 says, Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? It's dead. It's non-existent. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by his by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So the question I have to ask myself this morning is this. How is it that I'm serving God? How is it that God is I'm allowing God to use me in this life that I'm living? I want, to, I want to take just a moment this morning, and I'm, I'm going to try and make it quick as I can. But I want us to look at the picture of Moses as being called of God to be a servant for the Lord. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 4 just for a moment. Just think about this as you're turning there. God may call you, just as He called Moses, to do something great. He may do that. He may have something in store for you that you have no idea what is coming. Can you imagine just for a moment as Moses is standing before a burning bush and he's sitting back scratching his head and saying, Whoa, does anyone else see this? i got a fire here and it's not really being burned. Whoa. This is a story about the big one that you really don't want to tell God away. This is what's happening here is this burning bush is... I mean, it's up in flames and, 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 and it's not being burned up. Is anyone, anyone else seeing this? I mean... Can you imagine being Moses for a moment? I mean, stand in this and, and, and all of a sudden a voice comes out. Whoa. That's like the person who saw Bigfoot and they don't want to tell anybody because nobody's going to believe them. Right, Janet? It's like the UFO you saw. And you're, I ain't saying nothing. Nope. There's a bush on fire, but yet it's not being burned up. God's got his attention just for a moment here. Moses was in a place to be used. He was humbled. And God had stopped Moses in his tracks, getting his attention. In fact, in Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Stand in awe upon your bed. Commune with God. Just take a moment. So, you, know, you know why I think God doesn't speak to some of us? You know, what, you know what I really think it comes down to? We don't stop long enough to listen. We don't stop long enough to listen. When you think about Psalm 4, 4, it says, Commune with God upon your bed. You know, I'm just going to say it. The greatest sleep medication known to man is praying before you go to sleep. You don't need no pills. Lay down and start... Dear Lord. What energy are we giving to God and taking a moment in stillness and quiet to listen to God? God got his attention. He says, put off thy shoes. God's presence brought holiness. And Moses, God's word tells us, hid his face from him. Because he was afraid. But you know what Proverbs 1 verse 7 reminds us of? The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom. You want God's wisdom? You want God to work in your life? You want God to show you? We need to get back to fearing him. We don't fear God in this country that we live in. We don't. Sorry, kids. Two hands and a foot. I'm guilty. 
I'm guilty. We are too hurried. We are too frantic paced to slow down. What was the condition of the children of Israel? We know the condition of Moses that he was in a place to be used. God had brought him up through the through the Pharaoh's teachings and so forth. He lived in the Pharaoh's house and he was in a place to be used. He was humbled. God stopped him in his track and he says, I have this task for you. What was the condition of the children of Israel? The children were in bondage awaiting freedom they didn't deserve. He says, I've heard your screams by reason of your taskmasters. I see what they're doing to you. I know what you're going through. And can I just say, God knows what we're going through. He sees what's taking place in our lives. He knows every trial, every situation we're facing. God was fully aware of his situation. And he wanted to bring them up out of the land of Egypt into a land that flowed with milk and honey. You know, I truly believe that God does want the best for us as his children. Do you, do you ever think about that? God really does want the best of us for, as his children. You, know, you over there, you know, you're going to struggle, and you're going to struggle bad. Nah. You? Yeah, you're going to have it easy. I think God wants the best for us. But there are sometimes things in our life that God says, I can't bless you when you're living in sin. I can't use you as long as you're living for self. And we often forfeit by our choices God's blessing on our lives. God says, I want to bring them out of the land of Egypt and into a land that flows with milk and honey. And I believe He wants to do that for us. He wants to bring us out of sin, out of complacency, out of spiritual laziness, into a closer relationship with Him. When God probes our hearts to a form of service, I believe our best choice is to say, God, I'll serve. But we find ourselves, and I'm just going to go through this quickly, like Moses, because we've heard this before. We give excuses as to why we can't serve God. And we could look around the auditorium this morning, and all of us could come up with a reason why we don't fully serve God. We give them leftovers. Actually, in chapter 3, told you chapter 4, but chapter 3. A couple of good verses here. When God called him to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage, Moses gave five responses. The first response, he says in chapter 3, verse 11, but Moses asked God, who am I? <laughs> who am I? It sounds so great, doesn't it? I mean, God, who am I? I'm nobody. You're right, Moses. You are nobody. You're exactly right. But it's not about you. Never has been, never will be. And when God calls us, we can in humility say, well, who am I? You're right. You're nobody. That doesn't change the fact. God says, I want to use you. doesn't matter the reasons. I want to use you. How will we respond? Can you imagine? Moses showed his humility, but he also showed his lack of faith. Moses had learned not to trust in himself already. Remember what Philippians 1.6 says? Being confident of this very thing that He, God, who starts a, will, starts a work in you will what? What's the word? He'll finish it. He'll complete it. Doesn't that like remove all the fear and doubt? That what God starts, He's going to finish? It ought to. In chapter 3, verse 12, God's response simply was, I'll be with you. When God asks us to do something, He'll be with us. Period. Number two, He says, in, ch in chapter 3, verse 13, What should I tell them? 
Well, chapter 3, verse 14, God's response. Tell them that I am that I am has sent me unto you. Can you imagine all the titles of God, the first, the last, beginning, end, Alpha, Omega, of all the names of God found in Scripture? You just go tell Pharaoh that I am that I am has sent me unto you. Go tell others of my intentions. And, and this is really encouraging that God gives them this other little bit of information too. Chapter 3, verse 19. By the way, Moses, when you go tell them, and you say, what do I say? And you say, tell them that I am that I am sent me unto you. Just, just, just keep in mind, chapter 3, verse 19. They're still not going to listen to you. Well, why go then? I mean, God, I mean, if you're going to tell me to go and they're not going to listen and they're still not going to let them go, why, why do I have to? Because I told you to. Do you, have you ever experienced this with your kids? Come on. Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. But why? Because I said so. Does it really matter why? I'm telling you to do it. I know you have never experienced that before. My, my kids, perfect. No, we've all been through it as children ourselves and with our children. We've all been there. We want justification as to why we should do what we're told to do. And God just says, do it. Doesn't matter why, I'm telling you. And by the way, I'm going with you. And I'll finish what I start in you. Just, just trust me on this one. But Moses gives a third response. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, then Moses answers, what if they won't believe me and I will not obey, and they will not obey me? Moses' third response was, they're not going to believe me. Well, that's right. I already told you they weren't going to believe you. But do it anyway. But God had a response for him in verse, verses 2 through 9. He says, the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground and it be, became as a snake. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord told him, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. Can you imagine this? How cool is that? I mean, Nick, I mean, talk about magician stuff, right? I mean, this is cool stuff. What's in your hand? Throw it on the ground. Whoa, I'm out of here. Pick it up again. But he goes on in these three examples in verses 2 through 9. What's in your hand? A rod, and it becomes a serpent. Put your hand inside your cloak, and it turns white with leprosy. And he puts it back in and pulls it out, and it's clean again. And then the third thing, take some water from the Nile. They still don't believe you. So he reaches out and takes the the water and pours it out and becomes his blood. Moses, there's two lessons I want you to learn here. I'll give you what you need to do what I'm asking you to do. I'll give you what you need to do what I'm asking you to do. And number two, I'll use what you have. You notice that God did not send Moses back to uh, you know Jerusalem Baptist Bible College before he could do these things. Just saying, um, these same two rules, these same two principles apply to us in our lives today. God will give you what you need to do the job He calls you to do as His servant. And number two, He'll use what you have. Those principles have been true in my life; they'll be true in your life. Fourth response, verse ten. He says, I'm not eloquent. Moses felt like he did not have the speech to convince Pharaoh to let the children go. And he really didn't, because it wasn't about what he could do. It was about his obedience. But God reminded him, who made your mouth? Who made the dumb? Have not I the Lord or the seeing? Now go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you should say. If we're not careful, we'll do much of what we do in our own strength and our own abilities. You say, well, it's really neat that Moses realized he wasn't a great, an eloquent speaker. He wasn't a good communicator. 
But it wasn't about Moses. It never was. And we're reminded over and over again. Who made your mouth? Who made the dumb? Who made the scene? Go. If we're not careful, we can do everything we do in our own ability, in our own skill, our own talents. Right? That's not how we're to operate. Because if we can do all those things in our own strength, our own abilities, our own talents, our own skills, what do we need God for? I got this one. God, I got this one. You have never seen me talk, God. Just hold on a second. I got this one. can't schmooze our way into things. But if we're going in our own strength, we're missing the point. And then fifth response. Moses finally just gets to the place of God. Verse 13, send someone else. I mean, you know how it's like. I mean, pastor gets up and says, hey, we need somebody to do this. Oh, so-and-so is really good at it. They ought to do it. We need somebody to work in the nursery. Oh man, so-and-so is so good with kids. And plus they have four of their own. They had to volunteer for that. Send someone else. That's the easy thing. God wants us to be a servant of Christ. And He wants us to lead and follow, lead out and be an example of Jesus Christ in the world that we live in. And after all, that's why He created us. And we have this idea that someone else can do it better. Maybe they can. But it's not about that. And we get kind of like Moses. Send someone else, God. This is kind of a weird, strange, crazy place to be. God looks at Moses and says in verse 14, I will send Aaron with you and I'll empower you. You're who I've called. Moses basically gave five responses. Who am I? 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27-28 says, God has chosen the foolish thing. The weak things. The things that we wouldn't expect. People we wouldn't expect to carry out His work. Moses says, well, what should I say? John 3 still tells us that we're to tell them of God's Word. Tell them of God's message. Moses said, they'll not believe me. Well, First John 3 reminds us that don't be discouraged. If they don't believe you, they first didn't believe me. He says, I'm not eloquent. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1-6 through reminds us that God uses who He chooses to use. It's His choice. Moses says, send someone else. And God reminds us that He is faithful. I need to close, but I want you to think about this for a moment. If we truly know Jesus Christ, if He is truly our Savior, our desire should be that we want Him to use us. It's not about our talents, our abilities, our skills. They're all irrelevant in God's sight. You've heard me say this verse before, but I'll remind you over and over. In 2 Chronicles, God reminds us, for the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do what? One thing. To show Himself strong in Him whose heart is perfect towards Him. God says if... Now, word perfect means mature. God says if you're mature enough to let me use you, you just set your abilities and talents aside. I'll work through you. They'll see mine. And whatever work I start with you, I'll complete it. So the question we have this morning is, how does God want to use you as a servant of Christ? Some of us can attend church for years and never really jump in both feet. We kind of scratch the surface a little bit and say, hey, maybe I'll 
Maybe I'll do a little bit of that. If it's convenient, I'll do a little bit of that. But too many of us, we just kind of stay on the surface. Don't really jump in both feet. It's kind of like when you, first couple times of the year, when you get in the pool and you kind of, that's too cold. I'm telling you, you wade into a cold pool, you'll never jump in. You just got to jump in. Right? Let it take your breath away. And after a minute, you realize it's not as bad as you thought it was. Right? Why aren't you serving the Lord if you're not? If you are, you know the blessings of it. I'm not going to have a long invitation this morning. I simply want to say this. Are you letting God use you? Is it your desire to be a servant of Christ? One of the reasons He created you. We talked about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You're not saved by your works. But verse 10 also goes with that. For we are His workmanship created unto what? Good works. God wants us to serve. If you're serving Him, wonderful. You know the blessings. But if you're not, why not? I don't know what God has for you. But I know this. If you'll pray and say, God, I'm available. You burden my heart where you want me to serve. And I'll do it. I promise you God will show you that. I believe that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,